Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. A brand new football week to talk about here on Tape Heads. Bob and Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli. The podcast that takes you behind the X's and O's, and we go deep dive into football for all the football nerds out there like me. It's great listening to Dan and Scott break it down every week. And guys, there is no team as the jumping off point for this week on Tape Heads that people seem to be trying to do a deeper dive on and getting less answers than the Kansas City Chiefs. What is wrong with this offense? What is wrong with their defense? And Patrick Mahomes... There are a lot of questions stirring around this team. Here's what the quarterback had to say. I mean, it's 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 kind of been one thing here and there each and every week. It's not like a whole overarching one thing. I mean, today it was probably me who was just pressing a little bit too early in the game, and then it kind of got down, and we were in a, a that kind of mode where you're kind of un, a no huddle, which you don't want to be in in the NFL. You can execute a little bit, but it's hard to get sustained drives. Um, so I just got to be better early in the games uh, so we don't get behind like we did today. Well, maybe, Dan, it does have to be the quarterback. I don't know. I mean, obviously, he's not playing the way we've seen Patrick Mahomes play in the past, but it seems like the problems for this team go way beyond Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and what always used to work, a seamless offense that would just glide down the field seemingly at ease every game. What What do you think the problem is? Well, there's a lot of problems, to your point, Bob. Uh, I, I think, so I'll start on the other side of the football. Defensively. One, everything in football is connected. You guys know that. It is always connected. So the Chiefs' defense is not good. They give up a lot of points. That impacts the way philosophically that defenses are going to play against the Chiefs' offense, and that impacts philosophically the way the Chiefs' offense is going to try to go about their business, right? So as an opposing team, when you play the Chiefs, you know, all right, our offense is going to score some points. We're going to score 28-plus points more than likely. They're giving up, I think, averaging like 31 or 32 points defensively. So when you play the Chiefs offensively, you feel comfortable you're going to get to around 30. So then that frames, again, philosophically, how do we want to play defense against the Chiefs offense? What's the best way for us to slow and or stop them from scoring 30 points? Number one, teams are playing too high safety 
at an, a ridiculous rate against the Chiefs. Is that something new? Absolutely not. This is a rather lather, rinse, and repeat thing. Everybody has been doing this against the Chiefs for probably close to three years now. Teams are playing a lot of too high safety. Now, fundamentally in offensive football, when you get too high safeties, your number one goal should be run the football. It is a ma- Football is a math game. It always has been to me. If I've got six guys blocking and you only have five, which is often the case in a too high shell defense, I should be able to run the ball wherever, whenever, however I want. So the Chiefs aren't doing enough of that. They aren't kind of banging their head against the wall with, we are going to run the football. Number two, and this is a thing that you and I have talked about at nauseum a little bit, Bob. I think that the RPO offense, the run pass option, has hurt this offensive line significantly, and it's affecting Patrick Mahomes. Number one, the offensive line. There's no pop in their run game. There's no, okay, we are putting our hands in the ground. We're calling a run. I do not care what the defense is in. We're going to get four yards. I don't, you know, there. it's always, well, we're going to call a run, and if we if we get a half a body too much, maybe Patrick will throw the ball. You know, you watch the offensive line come off the ball and there's no pop. And the pass aspect of it, you watch this offensive line come off the ball and you can see it on tape. They will start to peek back to see if Patrick has pulled the ball to throw the pass option. So that's the first aspect that in the run game, it's really impacting them. The second thing is when you live in the RPO world as a quarterback, there's very little rhythm to your feet. You know, you are catch, place ball down, read a defender, either give it or throw it right now. There's very, okay, I'm dropping back number one, number two, my feet tell me to get to number three to a check down. My feet, there's no rhythm to the check down for Patrick Mahomes. So all those variables are the fundamental reason why the Chiefs offense has had moments of stagnant play. Obviously, the turnovers are a result of those symptoms. Yeah, Dan, you know, you, you're hitting on a key word. and <laughs> You mentioned the word fundamentals, and there's an absence of some real fundamental things going on right here. I, I do want to ta- touch on, you talk about the pop of the offensive line on play action. And, you know, I was fortunate around to be around some pretty good coaches and watch them coach play action. It's RPOs, play action, same thing. You're yeah. faking, the, you know, and... One of the things that I remember the most about the best play action teams was not only the ball handling and the footwork and the track of the running back and the quarterback, but was the offensive line. When you saw a team that could run the play action really well, you could you didn't just see it, right? You, you're talking about what we could see on tape. The other thing is you heard that offensive line. Mm, there was mm. a sound of them coming off the ball. I, and again, this is, this is where my scouting thing comes in. It's, you know, there's certain things that you can hear and feel and sense when you're on the field. And when you're around a Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels, some of the best play action teams that I've been around, Ron Earhart back in the day, Dan Henning, their play action, you could hear their play action coming. And it was enough where the offensive line would come off its with, with such sure. intensity the defense even thought it was wrong. It was it was this visual thing that they saw the play action, but they heard 
a play that sounded like a run. I, so I, I don't want to spend too much time on that. But the other thing is the fundamentals of this. It's the turnovers, right? They are dead last, tied with the Jacksonville Jaguars at minus 11 turnovers. And they've had some other turnovers that they've gotten away with. You, know, you go back to this game in particular. Look at, go back to the first quarter. Tennessee's up 7-0. The Chiefs have the ball third and seven at their, you know, the minus 49, their own 49-yard line. Bud Dupree gets the edge on Orlando Brown. Yep. Strip sacks Mahomes. Now, Kansas City recovers, but the thing is, you know, we've talked about this before. Just because you do something wrong and it works out in your favor doesn't mean that it's right. You know, one Mm -hmm. of the things that, again, the, the best coaches I was around that they always preached was making sure that you don't plant the seeds for future defeats. And not just defeats in games, but in series and in turnovers. So now, you know, we've seen this. This has been all year. This offensive line has not been performing. Orlando Brown wanted to go to Kansas City because he wanted to play left tackle. Saddle up. Buckle up. Here we go. But he's getting beat by Bud Dupree. And, (laughs) and, you know, so so that happens. Now, the other thing that's happening is one of the things of magic of Patrick Mahomes, who I still think is magical and is going to be magical and continue to be that way, the extended players are not working out the way they used to. Again, go back Mm -hmm. to the second quarter. KC's got first and 10 on their own 25. Titans are already up, you know, 17-0 at this point in time. Nobody's open, which, again, this is becoming a problem. The people are not getting open, which puts pressure on the offensive line, which hasn't gelled yet. He's trying to squeeze one in on this play, gets tipped in the air and intercepted. Tennessee yeah. gets the ball. You know, they only have to go 46 yards right now because they've got the interception in Kansas City territory. Touchdown. And now the game's 24 nothing. We're still in the second quarter. Yep. And now we go to this place again. We're still in the first half, but we're now we're under two minutes. Mahomes scrambles. Terrific scramble, 13 yards. But I, I I encourage everyone to go back and watch the tape. The way that he is carrying the ball the entire time that he's running for 13 yards, this is the kind of stuff that Patrick has been able to get away with in the past. He's not protecting the ball. He's got it in one hand. It's out. As this play is ending and he's going down, sure enough, he's stripped. Ball's sure. turned over again. Tennessee gets the ball with less than two minutes. Eight plays, only 18 yards. They hit a field goal. We turn around, and it's 27 nothing. And I think part of what's happening here is some of the things that you, know, you can get away with not being fundamentally sound for a certain amount of time if you have rare talent and, and the good Lord is looking over you. At some point in time, those things are going to manifest themselves into unsuccessful plays. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm seeing right now, in addition to the stuff you mentioned, Dan. Yeah, I mean, it was 24 nothing, and the Chiefs had run 11 offensive right. plays. I wanted to touch on the, the interception play, right? Because I think it's a big teaching point for everybody listening that there is a difference. When I say the rhythm of your feet, listening to the rhythm of your feet to your check down, there is a big difference between check down and outlet for a quarterback, okay? Hmm. A check down is something that is built into the progression of a play, hey, we are going one, two to three. And on that interception, that first and 10, where he scrambles to his left and he throws back across his body, three is, so he goes a little flash fake, backs on his left, flash fake, and the back is coming across. So he's going to cross Patrick. He's going to help a little bit in protection with the chip. And then he's going to run what's called a check M. So if you think of the McDonald's arch, right? The M, one half of that. So he's going to go check M. So it's going to almost look like a little bit of that arch loop. And you're really just trying to get the back 
to start going downhill at the defense while also looking to the quarterback. And so Patrick goes, number one is Travis Kelsey on a little bit of an in and out whip route. It's not there. Number two is an in breaker. It's not there. If you go one hitch to Kelsey, two hitch to that in or basic, and three to your check M, he is going to catch that ball, and it is going to be at worst. If he catches the ball and starts to trip on his own feet, it's going to be second in two. That is in the rhythm of the play. That is a in rhythm check down. Now, an outlet is, hey, there's you, the, the ball has to get out of your hands. You are uh, scrambling. There's a sack. You're under duress, and somebody has leaked out, and is, it is your only option to get the ball out of your hands. That is the difference between the rhythm of a check down and an outlet for a quarterback. And that's what I say when Patrick has got to really, and the chiefs have to really start to hone in on this is when you start to listen to your feet way more, which again is not part of that RPO offense, you get into the rhythm of your checkdowns way more often. And then you don't make those mistakes that right now are really hurting this football team. Well, let me say you're a good partner because obviously working the golden arches in there brings me into the conversation. So like, I, I appreciate that. I, I, you're, you're, you're now talking about yeah metaphors I see, that I can you understand. Felt lonely. I can see it. You yeah, I can lonely, tell. Hey, look real quick. We only have a minute or two left in this segment. Every time we talk about the chiefs every week though, it seems like our conversation is what's going wrong with them rather than what the opponent sometimes is doing right. Yep. How about a quick thought on Tennessee? I mean, this is a team that I watched a couple of weeks ago lose to the Jets. Mm-hmm. And, and Scott, to your point, offensive line, imposing your will, physically winning. Like, we spend all our time with the Chiefs talking about Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Mahomes and his magic and Mecole Hardman. I mean, what's the biggest problem, arguably, with their offense? It breaks down on the offensive line, and it short-circuits everything that they want to do. When the Titans get it going... There aren't too many breakdowns on that offensive line. Mike Vrabel is such a stickler for doing things the right way, fundamentals, and just perfection and detail. And, you know, it's part of what he learned as a player. And again, so I've known Mike forever since since the time he came out of college. He had those couple first years as a player with Pittsburgh. We brought him to um, New England, and he was with me in Kansas City also. Mike was a student of the game, and Mike was not a rare physical talent. He had to do everything right in order to be a good player. And he was not a good player. He was a very good player because he did things right. He was prepared mentally. He did things right fundamentally. And that is the image of the team that he wants. That's why John Robinson goes out and gets the type of players that they may not be, they may not have a whole lot of sizzle, but what they're going to do is they're not going to, they're going to try not to lose football games. But I, I have to say this, you know, what people forget sometimes is every team in the National Football League is is playing with pro football players. Even the backups are pro football players. These guys are the yeah. best of the best in the world. And, you know, I mentioned this last week, every once in a while, you know, Betty Crocker's going to burn the brownies and, and the Jets burn the Titans brownies. And I think that they learn from that. And I think that's what good teams do is they learn from making mistakes and not playing well one week. I could keep it simple for the Titans. Number one, defensively, they do a good job with coverage disguise. What that does for a quarterback, it makes you just hesitate for a second. They got two first rounders on their defensive line that are playing really good football. And they got a second rounder that's playing really good football. So Landry's playing good football. Dupree's playing good football. And Simmons playing good football, right? So that's tied together. Offensively, they have the Monstars. 
I'm just a PSA to everybody listening that is watching the Titans. If you line up defensively to stop Derrick Henry, you are going to get gashed by those receivers. They, they're skill position players, Bob. Skill position, not their tight ends. Skill position, yep. guys. Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio average 6'3", 235 pounds. No one in the NFL is like that. Nobody. No one in the NFL defensively can match up to them. So their big boys on the perimeter are a problem for defenses. If you line up to stop Derrick Henry, you are going to get play action passed to death. And and when they lost to the Jets, they were without Julio and A.J. Brown. So obviously that takes away exactly. a big part of how they want to play. A team right now that is playing exactly the way they want to play, though, the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to talk about them when we come back because that was a statement win for them this past week in Baltimore. And also, Dan and I were a part of history, a very unusual version of history. But we will tell you about that when we come back on Tape Ends. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Back here on Tape Heads, Bob Wachusen, Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli, the podcast that takes you behind the X's and O's. And guys, we've been, I think, all season with the Cincinnati Bengals having this discussion, waiting for a reason to say they should have taken Penny Sewell. They should have addressed the offensive line. This team went the wrong way in the draft. And every time we want to have that conversation, Jamar Chase does what Jamar Chase does again. Joe Burrow looks like he's got plenty of protection up front. And this team looks like they are really... For real. Was that as much of a statement went on Sunday as we all maybe on the surface think it was? Well, I, th- I thought it was the most emphatic and impressive win by anybody in the NFL this season. Cincinnati to go down and beat down Baltimore almost in a way that Baltimore has usually beat up people over the last decade plus. <laughs> Uh, One thing that stood out to me defensively, Bob, if you go to the second quarter, there's a third and 11. And 
Um, something that the Baltimore Raven defense has been notorious for, I played against it too many times, is in that situation, here comes all out, man-to-man coverage, zero pressure. And you as a quarterback are sitting there going, good gosh, dude. I I know one guy is going to get unblocked. I got to get this ball out in 1.3 seconds. I'm going to get hit, and I've got to find a completion for a first down. So they show that all-out pressure. Lamar drifts to his right. The backside linebacker becomes unblocked. There's nowhere for the Lamar to throw the football because the defenders are squatting at 10 yards. The ball's got to come out, and there's an incomplete um, throw, only a field goal opportunity. So then, as a quarterback, now the seed has been planted by the defense. All right, third down, eight plus. Here comes zero pressure. You better have a stinking answer. You got to figure <laughs> out who's getting blocked, who's not getting blocked. You better know where the ball can get thrown for a completion for a first down. Then, fast forward to the fourth quarter. It's only a 10 point game. Fourth and The Ravens have to go for it. Here comes that all-out pressure again. Man-to-man across the board. Everybody up into the line of scrimmage. Ball gets snapped. Lamar's going to drift to his left because he full slides his offensive line from the right to the left. So the right defensive end is going to come unblocked. He drifts from it because he knows that's the unblocked defender. Everybody on the Bengals' defense at the line of scrimmage comes into the offensive line, right? First for one quick second, and then the linebackers drop out. Now they're playing almost like a zero zone, so to speak. Everyone's sitting at eight, nine yards. They're playing in and out coverage, and those linebackers drop underneath and almost pick off the ball, tip it away. Lamar's thinking, I got an easy completion to a slot receiver. Ball gets tipped away. When you as a defense do that, I as a quarterback, I'm going, I got no clue, coach. Now offensively, the thing that I love the most that they did was – they knew Baltimore was going to do the same thing. They knew on third down, Baltimore was going to go, here it comes, man-to-man coverage, all-out pressure. They kept their tight end in right next to Joe Burrow. They kept their tail back in right next to Joe Burrow. Seven guys in protection, and guess what? We're going to bank on T. Higgins winning versus man-to-man, or we're going to bank on Jamar Chase on an in-route winning versus man-to-man or a back shoulder. I thought their protection plans and then the way they attacked protection were brilliant. Yeah, and what happened there was going back to – Again, what does this win mean? Like, what does this mean? Because the Bengals have been here before. They win a game, but they don't know what. This was a statement game. Everyone said this was a shot heard around the division. And it really was. Because this is what that win does in that moment is it creates hope and belief. And I'm not sure there's been a whole lot of hope and belief in systems and in processes and cultures in the past because they haven't been able to win a big a big game like this and have a record quite honestly like this. So sure. when you look at this, you know, it just I, I started thinking back to some of the teams that I was a part of, you know, in, in Cleveland when you know when we turned things around. Like all these teams where we turned things around, the Cleveland Browns, the New York Jets, the Patriots, the Atlanta Falcons, where we did it pretty much in quick time. In Kansas City, we actually did it in quick time. In the second year, we won a division, but we didn't follow through. Again, we couldn't sustain it organizationally. Now, what they did was create this hope and belief that I've seen before, but now what they have to do is treat this as though, okay, that was big, that was important, it's just another game, we beat up the bullies on the block in the division, But we got a bunch more football to win because you go into every season, the goal is to win the division because then the division, you know, you win division, you're in the tournament. Then the goal is where the Titans are at right now, where they 
have been able to win in the division, but now the last two weeks they've been able to win big ones within the conference. So now they know they're for real. So right now there's a mentality with the Bengals where they think the players believe, the locker room believes, the coaches are starting to believe, the franchise is starting to believe. Now they have to continue to stack these things together. This cannot be an outlier. They cannot go back and fall back. They need to take this hope and belief and let it become confidence. Yeah, as a Jet fan, by the way, like I'm, what belief? Like, I mean, like you said, rebuilding a team two years ago, obviously the Bengals had the number one pick in the draft. There has to be a belief that at some point that foundation will be laid and a bad, or, bad organization become a good one. A bad team can become a good team. Hopefully, at least in my world, things can change quickly. But Scott, I'm not sure if you were aware that Dan and I were a part of history. On Saturday, we made history. I'm not sure if, if, if you caught it. No, yeah, nine overtimes later, we actually called the Penn State Illinois game. And you know what? Look, this is a pro football show. We talk NFL, but look, tape heads can apply to college football too. And I'm just wondering, philosophically, as two guys who are as dyed in the wool football purists as I have ever met, that system of doing nothing but two-point conversions at the end of a game to determine the outcome of a team season. Like Penn State's season was determined at home on Saturday. They're not now going to play for the national championship. They are done, and it was a two-point conversion contest that ended their season. Do you have a problem with that, or do you understand that kind of player safety argument that the NCAA made when they made this rule switch? I'll say this. Um... I don't like it, and I also don't have a solution, so I need to keep my mouth pretty much shut. No, I mean, but that's the truth because we've tried so many different ways in college football and pro football and how we're going to do overtime. This is like one of the longest ongoing conversations. I sat in all of those meetings at the league office, you know, in, in the annual league meetings when when coaches and, and, and front office people and really smart football historians discussed, you know, what's the best way to end this game? Because you want to try to find a way that really mimics the game the best, right? There's some teams that have better and are built for short yardage goal line situations, either offensively or defensively. Some teams play better in the middle of the field or the length of the field. You know, you get in this spot, some offenses can't operate as well as they operate, you know, when there's more field space to work with and greater depth of the field to work with. It mitigates their speed and some teams are built for speed and not necessarily size. So it really changes the game. But again, as much as I don't like it, I still haven't found a better solution, so I can't criticize it. Right. <laughs> uh, Dan, I don't know if you were having this thought. I didn't even express this to you in the booth before, after, during, even when we were off the air. That the cartoon bubble coming out of my head while I'm <laughs> calling this is, this is thrilling. Like, there are a lot of people turning this I game on it. right now yeah. that couldn't believe what they were watching. I'm having a lot of fun calling it, dot, dot, dot. But also, this is weird, and yeah. football games shouldn't end this way, right? Yeah. And, like, both things can be true. Yes. I yeah. can be calling something that's thrilling for everybody that's watching, and at the same time, that's not the way that football game should be determined. I don't know if you had the same thought, but that was what I was thinking. No, I, I share the same sentiments because you're sitting there going, wait, these kids just played their absolute guts out, and now it's going to come down to three yards, 
you know, and, and one over and over again. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And, and I think Scott's point of, Hey, some teams can excel in this area and maybe it's not a strength of another team kind of becomes exposed, so to speak. You know, the thing that and I, t- I kind of referenced it during the, bo- the broadcast, but I wanted to make sure that everybody understood is first of all, it's really hard to have a play that has to get four yards, but can't get 13. Exactly. You know, like that's a very difficult challenge for a play caller and play designer is I got to get four, but I can't get 13. And again, you go into games with game plans, right? You have your, your, your game plan sheet of plays that we have practiced, repped our kids know, or whether it's in the NFL, our kids know that we're going to call these things. When you get to the end of the game and then you get into that situation and you get four, five, six plays deep, so to speak, in that situation, there's only so many plays that you have that are actual options to call. Because again, I can't call uh, a third and 10 plus play. You know, I can't go into my third and 10 plus game plan and go, well, this one can work because what happens, I, I don't have the space. And so I think that is the challenge when you get into that world. And, and maybe it's a learning opportunity for coaches is you always have to have this relatively large bank of plays that that are scripted or built or fundamentally designed to go okay we can get four the goal is to get four but we can't get 13 and here's the other thing is and dan you know this and i coached in college football and because back when the two-point play actually existed in college but didn't exist in in the in pro football every team every week pro college they have a short yardage goal line package set of plays, right? Every situation, whether third and long, third and medium, everything is on that giant play sheet that they have. And in college, you also have to remember there's a restriction on the number of hours that you can practice. And you have to determine in college and how much time you can spend and what is the most important thing for that week. There's only so much time to work on uh, on certain things. And the short yardage goal line or two-point package, again, you understand that the game may come down to it. There's only so much work you can do on it. And the other thing is this. Teams don't build themselves around purely short yardage goal line situations. You don't and you can't. Yeah, it's a fascinating schematic discussion as well, like you guys said, when you get into that very specific spot. Um Something also that apparently was fascinating was, at least for a brief period of time, I turned into a pinata on Boston Sports Radio. And that was a brief period of time on that one, Bob. (laughs) That's a good point. Maybe we can talk about that when we come back, because it actually does lead, I think, to a really interesting schematic discussion about how the Patriots are executing their offense when they are at their best and why what looks so simple is obviously so difficult to stop. We're going to talk about that with Dan Orlovsky and Scott Pioli. I'm Bob Wachusa, coming back on Tape Ends. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. 
See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Back with Dan Orlovsky and Scott Pioli. I'm Bob Oshusen. I'm the play-by-play guy for the New York Jets, and apparently that didn't ring too well with the Patriot fans this past week, at least for a brief period of time <laughs> on sports radio. Uh, you know, let's talk about that. And guys, really, it was what I said during the game when the Patriots are going up and down the field against the Jets. I kept referring to Mac Jones as a dink-and-dunk quarterback, which, by the way, he is. And that, that is their offense, right? He doesn't throw the ball down the field. But when I was saying what I was saying about Mac Jones, it was in no way meant to be looked at through the lens of someone knocking Mac Jones. I mean, as good a quarterback as the Jets have had over the last 20 years that I've been calling the games when he had it going might have been Chad Pennington. And he was a dink and dunk quarterback. And that was the way and their offense was terrific. Um, Having said that, though, what to me was amazing about that game this past week was that the Patriots. Their entire offense is basically run for the most part within six or seven yards of the line of scrimmage. And yet they were on pace to put up 600 yards of offense against the Jets in that game. And on top of that, they scored more points in that game against the Jets than the Jets have given up to anyone since 1979. So when I kept saying, Matt Jones keeps throwing the ball four or five yards for the line of scrimmage. Matt Jones is a dink and dunk quarterback. Matt Jones runs this offense in a phone booth. None of that was meant to be disparaging towards Mac Jones. The lens I was looking at it through, obviously as the Jet play-by-play guy to a Jet audience is, how does a defense know that this offense is going to basically run most of, if not all of what they do within seven yards of the line of scrimmage, and yet you can't stop it? I think I said at one point, Mac Jones is throwing five-yard passes to guys or screens to guys Mm -hmm. who are open, over and over and over and over again. Scott, I know you said you went through this with Tom Brady. Yeah. But at the same time, when Tom Brady got Randy Moss, when Tom Brady got Gronk, the ball went down the field. And that's when those big pinball machine offensive numbers started to get put up by the Patriot offense. You shouldn't be giving up 600 yards of offense to a team that plays within seven yards of the line of scrimmage. That, it was much more the focus on the Jet defense than it was anything disparaging about Mac Jones. Your your guys' thoughts on why this Patriot offense, when they get it going, as simple as it looks, is so effective. I want to go back to the part that you were, you were unfairly, in my opinion, criticized on, Bob, is, is it's semantics and it's word choice. Because quarterbacks and people who love big quarterbacks love to see the quarterback throw. Big throws, deep throws. We love the deep ball, right? Just like we love the long ball. And... It's the word choice. It's it's just like when a quarterback is called a, ge- a game manager. 
it's received as being offensive. The, the, the words dink and dunk don't sound sexy. It makes the quarterback sound like he can't do anything else. And I watched Brady go through this early in his career. People said he can't throw the long ball. He can't throw the deep ball. All he does is this underneath check down, dink, dunk stuff. And that is just, it, the way that that sounds and is received is it, 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 it's not meant, people don't understand your intent. They don't in, understand the intent of the words. But I go back to the history and, and part of what I learned about the short underneath sideways throwing. And often early with Brady, I heard Charlie Weiss first refer to it as the extended running game, where you put the player who does the best thing with the ball in his hands out in space, where he can get the ball in his hands, look downfield and see people and start making people miss, which is sometimes the the running back, sometimes a tight end, sometimes a short, shallow crosser. And that was the that was part of the belief in it. Now, the other thing was from that watching Charlie do that, Charlie learned that from Ron Earhart and Dan Henning. And I go back to listening to Parcells early on when we got to the Jets. And Parcells was giving me a little bit of a schooling on why they wanted to throw, make high percentage throws, short throws, sideways throws, because they were high percentage completions, putting the ball in the hands of the playmakers right? Everyone hears playmakers and they think it's guys who who are going to be 20 yards downfield. The other thing it does is it develops confidence in the quarterback. And it's what Bill and Ron Earhart did at the Giants early in Phil Simms' career. And this whole idea of the dink and dunk is really just short passes, extended running game, being smart, high percentage throws, and putting the ball in the hands of playmakers. But, you you know, Bob, again, it bums me out that you went through that, and I'm not saying, oh, poor Bob. Well, I didn't really go through anything. I I just mean, it's it's like sometimes people have to listen to the words and understand the meaning behind it, and it's never meant to be. If you took the clip of me on the game saying Mac Jones is a dink and dunk quarterback, it sounds disparaging. If you play the whole clip or what I probably followed that up with, it was much more Dan through the lens of why can't the Jets stop it? Why do they not get more in a phone booth with their defense? Why are these easy access throws available over and over and over again? Yeah, I think, first of all, the the myth that the the Patriots don't push the ball downfield is that (laughs) a myth. I, I, I mean, if you go back to this game, they threw five go routes. You know, they threw five go routes. So fundamentally, I'm not hitting all of those. I hit two of them as a quarterback. But what I'm also doing, the number one thing a defensive back does not want to happen is have the ball go over their head. That is the number one fear of every cat. So when I go in throughout a process of a game and I do take that three-step fade or that go route, I'm at least telling you I'm willing to do this. If you present the opportunity for me to throw the ball down the field, I'm going to take my chance. And give my guy an opportunity. So that's number one, that the Patriots are, when the situations present themselves, exactly pushing the ball downfield. Okay, number two, when it comes to the dink and dunk game manager, number one, every quarterback is a game manager. Every quarterback is a play operator. I get a play call in my helmet. When I get to the line of scrimmage, what I do with the football is directly correlated to what the defense allows me to do with the football. I can't go on a five-minute rant to start this pod about Patrick (laughs) Mahomes not taking checkdowns and kill him for that or not criticize him for that, but then sit there and go vice versa. Well, Mac Jones, you got to try to push the ball downfield. If the defense is telling you to do X with the football— 
that's the only play. Right. That's the right play because it's yeah. the only play. Sean McVay used to say that. Now, when you are going to see defenses that are going to play a lot of zone coverage, Steve Young, Greg Knapp, God rest his soul, the, the one-time great NFL quarterback coach spent time with Steve Young. And I remember him sharing a story with me that Steve would talk to him about playing zone, a quarterback against zone defenses. And Steve would also always say, someone is open. When you play zone de- coverage for a quarter, someone is open. It's my job to find the open guy. And I think that's what the, the Patriots predicate their offense on. We got a guy that's going to find an open person. So he operates the play. It's not a game manager. It's a play operator. I think the second philosophy for them is we are going to make the defense for four quarters tackle well. We're going to make them tackle well. In space. You know, like, yeah, it it make you tackle for four quarters. Because if I got if I get the ball in it, and if think about it, if I get the ball to Damian Harris and and in space and he makes one guy miss, well, that four yard completion goes to 15. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's. 20% 20% of the field or whatever, 16, 18% of the field. If I get the ball to Janu Smith on a screen and he makes two guys miss, well, that's 30, you know? And so it's this philosophy of let's make the defense over four quarters tackle really, really well. And I think the, the, the last point I'll make, Bob, about this is, listen, every defense has rules. Every defense has rules. They have rules given to what the field is and what the formation is. My job as a play caller is to attack those rules and to attack the people within the, the, the rules of that defense. And I don't care if I do it over four plays and it covers 80 yards or if I do it over 10 plays and it covers 80 yards. I got to attack rules. And when I do that efficiently and consistently, it might look like I'm dinking and dunking. I'm still attacking. Yeah, why would you do anything different if it keeps on working? I 100% agree with you. And that was really, it was more exasperation for the Jet defense <laughs> giving up 600 yards to a quarterback that never throws the ball more than five yards in the air. Yeah, that's what they need to understand, though, is yes. if the rules of the defense are telling me as a linebacker, my rule tells me I have the hook to curl area, which is you know basically from the offensive guard to the slot wide receiver. If my rule tells me that I drop to 12 yards and I sit until the ball is thrown underneath, well, that, that's my rule. Because if I break that rule and I come up, the ball's going over my head. Well, my rule is this this podcast is almost over. So really quick, I want to get a thought from you guys on the Thursday night game because we have the Packers and the Cardinals coming up. It might be the Thursday night. It might be the game of the year, certainly the Thursday night game of the year. Give me a minute thought from each of you guys on what's coming up on Thursday. Yeah, I think the Packers defense is got their hands full. If you watch the Washington game, a more explosive pass offense throws for 400 yards against them. Um, I think there's just chunks going to be in the pass game. Kyler's playing at such a high level. Um, he's stretching the field horizontally. He's stretching the field vertically. Their, their at-you run game is you have to respect it. And I think that the Packers secondary um, and, and linebackers are going to be tested in their run game. And then also, we'll see if Devontae plays. That's a big part of this conversation. If Devontae does not play... Robert Tunyon and Alan Lazard have to have big games. The number one thing for the Packers offense, Aaron has got to be fantastic with his eyes post-snap seeing their coverage disguise and change. I agree. Right now, Arizona's confidence is so high for all the reasons that you mentioned. And it's not a false confidence because they've developed this confidence slowly because they've gone through it. And they're just playing at a different level right now. And I'll say the other thing is right now, the Packers – 
the Packers with the COVID situation and some of the other stuff that they have going on right now, I think they're in a situation right now that there's so much unknown. I mean, we're sitting here, it's it's Tuesday and and we don't know not only with the with Devontae Adams, but with their coaching staff and how serious some of the stuff is going to be and how many people are going to be missing. It, it's one of the things, again, in this league that we, the injuries are injuries, but we've got this other thing out there, COVID, that is keeping players away and keeping coaches away, and it may really impact this football team in terms of preparation and then the whole entire game day operation. Well, that's coming up on Thursday, and that is when the next episode of Tapeheads is going to drop because we're going to talk about the fact that Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, several other quarterbacks are in an MVP conversation with a guy that might play until he's 50 and throw 700 touchdown passes. The ongoing amazement we all have at the player that Tom Brady is and just won't stop being. That's going to be something we will lead off our Thursday edition with. Join us then on Tapeheads. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. You can download the Tapeheads podcast on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.